and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Doing our reading today. Our reading today comes from Romans 12, 1 through 5. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we are going to talk today a little bit about self-reflection and inner work, uh, the work of emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, about looking inside ourselves in a way that leads to a deeper and more flourishing life. Uh, When the sermon series started, I was um, reading through Romans 12 over and over and over again, uh, and I kept landing on the verse that I want to talk about today, which, um, I don't know, I just kept thinking the same thing, that I think maybe I I wrote this talk before I did any of the other ones this summer, but it was verse 3. It's just been um, sitting with me for a really long time. Uh, Verse 3 says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Uh, Another translation of it says, don't cherish inaccurate ideas about yourself. It's a real feel-good verse. Uh, But it made me think of the serenity prayer. Do you know this prayer? Uh, It gets talked about mostly in recovery circles, particularly in AA. Uh, It's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, It's a lovely prayer. I did some research on it this week, uh, trying to figure out where it actually came from. Um, And there are a lot of theories as to where the prayer comes from. Um, And my friends in recovery here, I totally submit to you wherever you believe that it comes from. Um, But uh, I read that that some people attribute the prayer to like the early Greeks, that it's been around that long. Or um, uh, lots of of evidence that that people found it like um, in like cards in the pockets of soldiers from fill in the blank war, the Civil War, World War II. Um, Some people think Thomas Aquinas wrote it. Others say Aristotle. Uh, The Journal of AA says that this prayer has pretty much been credited to almost every theologian and philosopher and saint known to man. Uh, But the guy who gets credited the most often uh, for this prayer is a man named Reinhold Niebuhr. 
uh, and which I think is a great name. Um, but when he when he was asked if he wrote the prayer, he had the, I, he said this great thing. He said, "Yes, he wrote it, but that he probably that this prayer had probably been spooking around long before him," uh, which I just think is really good wording. Um, so Reinhold Niebuhr was an American theologian and preacher and teacher. Um, and he was uh, pretty significant. His impact has been pretty significant in that. Like after he died, Time magazine called him the greatest American Protestant theologian since Jonathan Edwards, uh, which to like four of us in the room is a really big deal. Um, according to Niebuhr's family, uh, the serenity prayer was written as like a tagline to a sermon that he gave, kind of like how we do Selah, like a prayer at the end of a sermon that he gave on practical Christianity. Uh, and so for him, it was like a guide for uh, how to be an everyday follower of Jesus. Uh, Niebuhr's wife said that after the sermon, a military officer came up to him and asked for a copy in order to bring it back to his soldiers, which is maybe um, how it ended up in the military. But then it kind of bounced around to different organizations, eventually finding its way into AA, uh, where it's been living ever since. Um, so here's why this prayer is so fascinating to me right now, uh, why I couldn't quit thinking about it or... Um, every time I was reading through Romans 12, um, I thought that the line that I just said was the entire prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I learned that there was actually a lot more to the prayer, that I only uh, knew like a third of it. So I want to read you the whole thing. Here's the whole thing. It says this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, comma, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. It's a really good prayer. Uh, the short version of it, but really the longer version of it. Uh, but there's this one line buried right in the middle of it that, if I'm honest, is one of the most difficult sentences that I have ever prayed, ever. God, help me take this world as it is and not as I would have it. Another version, uh, my therapist is the one who told me the rest of this prayer, and she has another version. Hers, hers says, help me take the world as Jesus did as it is and not as I would have it. This is the line of the prayer that kept coming to mind as I read through Romans 12 uh, over and over and over again. Um, in verse 3, Paul urges the Roman church, evaluate yourselves or evaluate yourself honestly. And I just kept reading for that, evaluate yourself as you are, not as you wish you were. And I don't know about you, but that is really hard for me. Uh, because it, when... It, when um, it comes toward self-evaluation, I tend toward the edges. I'm either incredibly hard on myself or like far, far, far too gentle with myself. Um, I struggle very much to take myself as I truly am. Or maybe even harder to take myself as Jesus does. Uh, Jesus takes me as I am, not just as I wish I was or um, as I think he wishes I was. Uh, but according to Paul, the best posture for us in our inner work is one of honesty. That if we want to become a pers the person that we want to be, we need to honestly look and see the person uh, that we are now. In view of God's mercy, Paul says, take an honest evaluation of yourself. 
See yourself as you are, not just as you wish you were, not just how you want to be seen. Uh, There's a therapist and a writer in Seattle that I love. His name's Dan Allender. Uh, He's written loads of books, and you can find them online. But he says that one of the questions that we should, as people, ask ourselves regularly is this question. What is real in me? Or to kind of borrow from Paul, uh, what is honest in me? Or what is honest about me? Uh, Which makes me think of a, a poem by Langston Hughes. It's a poem called Tired that I want to read you. He says this, or the poem says this. This is part of it. I am so tired of waiting, aren't you? For the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. Uh, I think that this is what Paul is getting at. Inner work does not have to wait until you have the perfect mix of good and beautiful and kind before you split yourself open and look inside to find out what's real. Uh, Before you split yourself open in honest evaluation, seeing yourself as you really are, not just as you wish you were or wish you could be. Uh, And it's not just here in Romans 12. It's all over the scriptures. This kind of work is talked about. Uh, According to the Bible, when it comes to flourishing life with Jesus, inner work or inner examination, uh, looking inside us at at what the worms are eating, it's crucial work. It's deep and formational work according to the scriptures. Uh, But it's also very countercultural work. Uh, There's a pastor in Queens, who also has written quite a few books that I think is so brilliant, named Rich Viotis, and he says this. He says, our entire world is oriented against interior examination. Uh, Some of you are probably like, oh no, she's about to tell me that I need to go to therapy again, and I am. I am telling you that, Uh, but you didn't go the last time, so... Uh, maybe you should go to therapy. I don't know. I don't know if you should go to therapy. But what I do know is that the Bible is full of challenges around introspection and interior examination and inner work. Uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, they, they talk about this to God's people. It's like the thing that Jesus is constantly confronting with the religious leaders. You, you may remember the like, you clean the outside of the cup. Have you ever looked inside of the cup? Uh, The inner work uh, versus the outer work. In Psalm 51, the psalmist says that God desires truth in our innermost being. The Bible, it takes self-examination really, really seriously. Uh, But in truth, our lives are not super conducive to this kind of work. Uh, There are a lot of reasons for this. I think two of the biggest reasons that we avoid um, honest evaluation that, that Paul is talking about here is because Uh, To me, the two biggest reasons are because we're afraid and because we're busy. Um, We're afraid. We're afraid that if we were to split ourselves open, we would, to keep quoting Langston Hughes, uh, find the worms. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that to honestly evaluate or uh, to honestly examine my own insights, I would find that I would find things that I really wish weren't there. I'd find habits that I don't really want to address. Uh, worse, I'd find stories and reasons behind those habits that I don't want to address. Um, I have a friend who's trying to quit smoking right now, and he said something really thoughtful the other day about it. He said um, that as he's trying to quit this addiction, he is trying to find out what other names this addiction answers to in his life. I thought that was so brilliant, just like really good wording. Uh, one of the scary things about looking inside ourselves is that we might find that our destructive habits or patterns or stories or thoughts that they also answer to other names, other things that might need to be dealt with in us. 
that, you know, like in attempt to find what's real in us, we might find stories that we would rather not see or stories we've covered up or numbed with other behaviors or addictions or however it is that we numb ourselves. Um, I think that fear keeps us from a whole lot of inner work. But I think our busyness does too. Uh, the pace of the 21st century American life is not conducive to uh, inner work or examined uh, lives. Uh, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't. The busyness of life that leads us to avoid seeing ourselves as we really are has significant and I think really, really meaningful ramifications. Um, I think in many ways our busyness has led us to become people who have traded reaction uh, or reflection for reaction. Uh, and, and it shows. Like, this is why reality TV is still a thing. Like, I, I still can't believe it. It's 20 years later. It's still happening. And um, I think this also explains the entire political landscape. Or, um, to me, the easiest way to see this in our world is if you've ever watched grown adults have to wait in a long line. And honestly, I'm talking to myself here. Uh, but if you've ever wondered if our culture has traded reflection for reaction, just go watch adults have to wait on something. Like it shows. Uh, I see it in my own life. When I'm busy, the first thing I dump is inner reflection. Uh, for me, busy uh, means that my uh, busy seasons of my life mean that my temper in those seasons is so much quicker. My patience lacks. My feelings are hurt so much faster and so much bigger than in other times. My anxiety, it's not just like quick momentary anxiety, but it's just like chronic throughout the whole season. I become quick to react and slow to respond. Uh, but Paul doesn't seem to give us an out on reflective work. He doesn't say, as long as you're an American in the 21st century, you don't have to do this because you're too busy. Um, and he doesn't say uh, to look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves only as far as is comfortable to us or only when we have time for it. No, he says, because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given us. So how do we do it? How do we begin the work of introspection, the work of honest self-evaluation? Uh, there are loads of places that you can start. Uh, one is maybe therapy. But uh, I want to talk about one that has come up a few times lately. It came up last week um, and, and a couple of times this week, too. So, um, but one of the best places to begin the curious work of self-examination, um, I think, is in our reactions. Um, it is like fertile ground for the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and help us with the work of honest self-examination. Uh, because the way we react to things has a whole lot to teach us. Uh, most often, I think our reactions also go by other names. Um, I'll be honest, I spent the majority of my life thinking that my reactions to a situation told me a whole lot about the state of the situation or the people in it or uh, the things around me. But after a lot of time and money spent in therapy, I have uh, learned that my reactions actually tell me a lot more about myself than they do other people. Uh, my reactions, they're a place that I find patterns of feelings, places where I find behaviors uh, in me. And in my reactions, I find scripts and stories that, like scripts I'm writing, stories I'm believing about myself and the people I love and the world around me. Um, my reactions tend to be a place where what is real in me gets exposed. 
Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, last week we talked about the react respond prayer, and then I uh, had this interaction like shortly after that, this phone call with someone, uh, and I was telling Daniel about it, and I kept calling it weird. Um, the conversation itself wasn't weird. Uh, it was just a follow-up conversation about a problem that's uh, been difficult to solve, and uh, we were just kind of connecting about that. But at some point in the conversation, I was saying something about being anxious about the situation and like really ready for this problem to be solved or something, and uh, the person I was talking to simply asked the question, uh, what is it about the situation that is still bothering you so much or still making you so anxious or something like that? And uh, for some reason, my whole body reacted to their question. Um, like my, my, my uh, spine got stiffed and my breath got tight and I felt immediately defensive and alone and misunderstood. And like I could hear my voice changing. My words, they got faster and tighter, more succinct. Um, and I just was reacting, like, in a huge way. Um, and honestly, I spent the rest of the conversation reacting to that one question. And then I hung up the phone, and I just felt weird, like, weird. And so I got curious about it. Why was I feeling so weird? Uh, and if I'm honest with you, I really wanted the weird feeling that I was having to be about the other person, like, be about the person that I was talking to on the phone, like, that they were, like, minimizing my experience or that they were bored or bothered with me. And maybe that's true, but that isn't why I felt weird. Uh, and historically, this is someone I'm super close to who uh, cares a lot about me and loves me really well. Um, I also wanted the weird to be about the reality of the problem we were discussing, and it definitely is a problem, and it's a big one and a hard one to solve, but that doesn't really explain why this question uh, bothered me so much. It's funny to me that the question, why does this bother you so much, bothered me so much. Uh, neither one of those things, the, the person or the situation, they don't really explain why my reaction was so strong to this one single moment. And so I found myself kind of like zeroing in on the question, why did this question lead to such a strong reaction in me? Uh, and when I looked there, uh, I found worms. Because what I've learned about myself, uh, what is real inside me or honest inside me, is that I have a lot of anxiety uh, around um, feeling like I have to justify how I feel. And it stems um, not from this conversation. It stems from experiences I had a long time ago. Uh, I have this condition where cells in my body grow in a place uh, that they're not supposed to grow. And that causes a lot of like physical pain. And like many people with this condition, it was really hard to diagnose. Uh, and so for me, I spent years and years of uh, doctors and hospital stays and surgeries and all kinds of things um, just trying to figure out what was going on. And so uh, during some very formational years of my life, I sat with medical professionals and would explain my pain and explain my symptoms. And I mainly got two responses from them. One was, I'm so sorry, but we don't know what's wrong with you. Or the second was, we don't believe you. And I felt like I constantly had to defend my pain or defend my symptoms or defend myself, like defending the fact that I'm not crazy and that this is real. Uh, and when a doctor finally figured out what was going on, I was in my 20s and I remember getting out of a surgery and he's explaining, like, we found this thing and we found it everywhere and he put a name on it. And I remember I was just crying and I, it was like, I was almost excited, like, uh, I remember being like, I'm not crazy. And he was like, no, you're not crazy. This is real. And this experience for me formed me in ways I feel like I'm only beginning to unpack and, and understand and discover. 
And one of the things that I am starting to discover in this is that I have a pattern of anxious reactions to any time I feel like I have to justify or defend a feeling or experience, especially a painful one. Uh, That conversation was weird, not because the person I was talking to was or that they were trying to minimize my experience. It was weird because my body and my mind and my heart heard voices from decades ago. Voices from a very long time ago telling me that I had to prove my pain or prove my experience or prove that I am, in fact, not crazy. Getting curious about this, uh, it did a couple of things for me. Uh, One is uh, it was kind of embarrassing, uh, so I had to go back and apologize. Um, But I also felt accomplished. I found a pattern, and I I think I found the root of the pattern. And um, not that... That, not that discovering this, like not, it's not like discovering being sick, uh, the impact of being sick as a younger person uh, excuses anything that I want to do today. It's, it's not like that, but it helped explain it. It helped to explain it in a way to me that I didn't understand before. And this weird reaction, it became a place for the Holy Spirit to help me see me. Uh, Because in my experience, a lot of what 40-year-old Lindsay reacts strongly to or experiences a lot of anxiety around, a whole lot of it comes from what 10-year-old Lindsay saw or felt or heard or experienced. Or 13-year-old Lindsay or 18-year-old Lindsay or 35-year-old Lindsay or whatever. Part of seeing myself as I really am means opening myself up to the reality that I am a whole person. And you are a whole person. We have a past and a present and a future. We have experiences and traumas and patterns and scripts we're rehearsing and stories we believe. We all have things on the surface, but also things buried deep and long ago. And the more of the whole person of Lindsay I see, the more I experience the love and mercy of Jesus in all of me, past or present or future. I go back to verse 1 of Romans 12, in view of God's mercy. It's the only safe way for us to look backward is to do it with eyes on the mercy of God. In view of God's mercy, I am trying to choose to see myself as I truly am. And by doing that, it creates a space for more of that mercy, a space for him to father me, to meet me uh, in these moments. And in that, I'm trying to trust the invitation of the Father here who takes me as I am, but who is always inviting me into something deeper and into something more free. Uh, I want to quote quote Rich Viotis again. He says, time and time again, God invites his people to come out of debilitating fear and into deeper experiences of peace and of trust. It is the most constant story we find in the scriptures. Freedom and shalom from places of pain and fear and captivity. Uh, This is the story of the exodus of God's people from the Egyptians. It's the story of Moses, of Abraham, Jacob, of Joshua, of Ruth, and Naomi. It's the story that God wanted for Saul, but that played out for David. It's Daniel, Rahab, Noah, Jonah. It's the story of the Maccabees. It's Peter and James and John and Mary and Nicodemus, Martha, Lazarus, Zacchaeus. Uh, Paul, Stephen, Barnabas, Lydia, Philemon, Priscilla, Junia, Cornelius. I could go on and on and on. God is in the business of inviting his people into greater and greater freedom. In John 10, uh, Jesus is talking to his followers and he says this. He says, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is this. I came for this. I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. 
The enemy comes to keep you bound and keep you captive, but I have come to set you free, to live a full life, a whole life, a flourishing life. I believe that Jesus came uh, to set people free from so many things, and, and, and part of this is this. Jesus died to set us free from the stories and patterns and traumas and scripts that hold us captive uh, on the inside and the outside. But the only way to access this freedom is by opening ourselves up or, according to Langston Hughes, splitting ourselves open. As Paul says, uh, as holy and living sacrifices, by splitting ourselves open and by taking an honest look at what's really there. So I want to do that in our next few minutes. Uh, I want to give you a couple of resources. Um, A good place to start uh, would be the book called A Deeply Formed Life or just Deeply Formed Life by Rich Viotas, which I've talked about a lot today. Um, Another is a resource that I quote, I don't know, I think I've talked about more than any other one here at Springbrook, and it's called Day by Day. It's a a daily devotional by Pete Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and I use it most days. Uh, Daniel and I both do. We, um, uh, it's a 30-day thing, and we'll do 30 days, and then a lot of times we just start it back over again. But it's a great place to start if you're like, I have no idea how to begin inner work. Um, it, it, it is phenomenal. And then another place that I think is great is the Psalms. Um, the, the Psalms uh, are an incredible guide when it comes to inward looking. Uh, They are full of stories and songs and poems aimed at seeing the world and uh, a person as they are, not just as we would have them to be. Um, And they're also good reminders that we don't do this work alone, that the Holy Spirit guides us and is with us, refining us, making us more and more honest and in turn more and more free. Uh, The Psalms are cries of an examined heart. They are the wants, needs, feels, and fears of an examined life. Uh, They are reactive at times and responsive at others. They're honest and graphic. And I just think they're a really good place to to go when you aren't uh, really sure how to begin this stuff. So uh, I'm going to pray and bless a few quiet minutes. So Jesus, thank you for today and this room.